And I forgot where we left off. Oh, I don't think I started yet. So, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's going to be late. So, uh, I think I'll work from home tomorrow. <laughs> in uh, verse 17, we left off in verse 16 last week. But in verse 17, you know, Moses is with the Lord in the cloud on the mountain. He says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver of bronze. Laver here translates as a basin or a bowl. A laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. You know, it's a, a means of cleansing. Very, very important what's going to happen here. Because he says, you shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. One thing you'll notice if you... If you diagram the tabernacle and you have this tent, so to speak, in the wilderness and you have the entry point here, you walk in and there's the an altar there where they would sacrifice animals. But then there's a separate building here and this separate building is the holy place where only the priest could go. And then inside of this building, there's another tiny space. It's called the Holy of Holies. So there's like three little chambers. And inside the Holy of Holies is where you have the ark. And only the high priest could go in there. And it was there where the Lord would come in and he would meet with the, he would meet with the high priest. And then the high priest would walk out and then speak to the congregation of Israel, which would be gathered around. It's very beautiful when you see it. You know, you're going to see passages in, in Numbers where it's actually put into practice. Even in Exodus, you're going to see it when it's put into practice after the golden calf. Which is so cool because keep in mind that the Lord is giving Moses these mm -hmm. blueprints with the knowledge that, hey, the, you know, these people are going to need a means of atoning because they're going to be, I mean, it's, it's going to kill you because we're going to see it. There's going to be an egregious sin in the camp that Moses is, isn't a part of and neither is Joshua. And, you know, it's so cool because, you know, as you look at this outlay of the temple and you see these things, it's very important because, you know, sometimes you could look at it. OK, it's just it's just a tent in the wilderness. And, and I hate to say it like that. You know, oh, it's, if you if you look at it with carnal eyes, oh, it's just a tabernacle in the wilderness. No big deal. You know, be very careful with that mindset because it's a very huge deal. And I don't mean to elevate the Old Testament. I mean to elevate the handiwork of the Lord. Because sometimes, you know, like a car, you look at a car and you think like, okay, here's a car, dumb color. I don't like it. But then you open the hood and you see all these little things, all these little parts that are working together. And, the, you know, the, the, the mechanical part, you know, the electric part, you have the, the engine and the wires and the electric volt. They go in here, they do all that, you know, and all kinds of different things. And that's where you see the tabernacle. It's not really, you can't see it with carnal eyes. But it's the means by which the Lord is doing an incredible work, namely cleansing the people, cleansing the people with blood and then also with water. What he's doing here when he starts to speak about this labor of bronze or this big bowl and it's bronzed and it's you put water in it and it's for a special purpose. He says in verse 18, you shall put water in it. And it's a very, very holy thing, this instruction that the Lord is giving to Moses. He says in verse 9, For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. It's cleansing for the priests and the high priest. 
And, you know, I'm very thankful for the audience that I have here today. Very, very thankful. But I have to admit, and I think I said this before, that there are times when, um, you know, when we're going through certain passages, and I wish I was speaking to all men. And there's times when I wish I was speaking to all women. There's times where I wish I was speaking to all young people or old people or all kinds of different people. And, um, but specifically for leadership in a church, pastors, elders, ministry leaders, because what happens a lot of times, you know, pastors start to get a mindset where, you know, they're, they're holy, where, you know, they're the ones where, you know, it's like, you know, wow, look at me. They get on their high horse. And I love passages like this, especially when the elders, when the priests get hammered by the Lord. Because for me, it, put, it still instills fear in me. But then at the same time, to understand that even those in church leadership need cleansing. And a lot of times people elevate these positions of authority without realizing that these people who are in these positions of authority need cleansing as well. And the Lord totally knows it because he's saying, hey, make this, make this labor of bronze. It's specifically for washing, washing their hands and their feet in water from it. And it's, it's, a, it's a holy process because notice in verse 20, it says, when they, remember, these are the priests and the, the high priests. And I have to say, you know, not that I'm, not that I'm lifting up the Old Testament over, because we are new covenant believers. But what I love about passages like this is, you start to understand more and more and more about the character of our Lord. It's very, very important. Remember, He never changes. All these things, you know, there's certain times where the only time the Lord changes His mind is with repentance. You know, when He says He's going to do something to a wicked people, if that wicked people repent, if they relent, the Bible teaches that the Lord will change His mind. But He's still the same. He still has the same nature. He desires repentance. But look at what he says here in verse 20. When they, speaking of the priests and the high priests, go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. If you notice, you know, it's either these, they go into the tabernacle, they come near the altar to minister or to burn an offering, and he specifically says they need to wash. They need to have clean hands. They need to have clean feet. You know, we spent uh, several passages on Sunday and a little bit even on Wednesday talking about offerings where, you know, the, the people give offering to the Lord. That's transaction number one. Transaction number one between the person and the Lord. But don't forget, there's transaction number two, which is, you know, now you have these offerings that are in the church coffers, so to speak. Now what happens? That's transaction number two. It's between church leadership and the Lord. What is going to happen with these funds in the church coffers? Very, very, very important. Because it doesn't belong to the pastor. 
It doesn't belong to the elder. It doesn't belong to the deacons. It doesn't belong to the bishops. It doesn't belong to, you know, the church per se, the way Christian fellowship. It belongs to the Lord, 100%. There's two transactions in offering. And what does the Lord desire? He wants clean hands. Specifically speaking about the priesthood, clean hands and clean feet, lest they die, he says. That's what he desires. Old Testament and New Testament, he desires clean hands, clean feet, not just from the leaders, but from the people as well. And it's atoned by blood in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, the blood of his only begotten son. Very, very, very important because, you know, a lot of times when people speak about money and offering, they can speak very exhaustive about the concept of giving unto the Lord, but they very, very rarely start to speak about transaction number two. What happens when there's money in the church coffers? Does it belong to, you know, XYZ church? Does it belong to Mr. You know, pastor's name. Does it belong to Mrs. Pastor's name? You know, I'm not saying that 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 how it should be, but that's how a lot of churches that have gone astray they have women pastors, and it's such a trip because you know a lot of times people say I don't want to read the Old Testament, but when you read the Old Testament, you start to understand the character of our Lord, things that He desires. And I'm not speaking about temple worship. I'm speaking about temple worship in our hearts, in our minds, in these temples. And, you know, and it blows me away because, you know, how, you know, it says, you know, they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash. Remember, it's the. The laver of bronze. And to lave means to wash or to bathe. I don't mean to be graphic, but you go into the, a third world country where they don't have, you know, like here in the Western culture, we're spoiled. We got showers, you know, we have bathtubs. But in some places you just take like a bucket of water and you, like you get like a little cup, like a Dixie cup and you like pour it on, you know, that's how you, that's how you bathe. And that's how these people bathe. They go to the river, they go to some body of water and they get this water and then they go behind these little closed, closed areas and you just like straight up, that's how you bathe. You know, that's where we get the word lavatory, you know, to, work, to, to wash or to bathe. It's very important because the Lord is speaking about clean hands, clean hands and clean feet. This is a concept that a lot of people, notice he says, lest they die. Lest they die. Speaking specifically of the priest and the high priest. Leadership. You know, it used to blow me away so much because, you know, our pastor in California, he always used to teach us about, you know, reverence for the Lord. To have reverence for his name. And, you know, I remember a time when I was just like, yeah, whatever, you know, I got work to do. I got stuff to do. I'm just here, you know. I want to please my wife. I don't want to fight with her. So here I am, you know. And then I started to fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. And there were times when my wife was like, hey, you know, I'm tired. I can't make it to church. I'm like, bye. You know, I'm going to church because I started to fall in love with the Lord. Not to sound mean, you know, but it was like, okay, see ya. I'm going to go to church. 
And it's so cool because, you know, our pastor always used to teach us about how in the Old Testament, you know, these prophets of old, anytime or not just the prophets of old, but also the scribes, you know, because they might have one Torah, they might have opened the scrolls and have the, if you ever see like, you know, the like old, uh, like pictures or artist renditions, or you read like Hebrew poetry and they make mention of these scrolls, they're like big. And so they'd take these big scrolls, put them on this big table and roll them out and they would read right to left. And they start to read. And anytime you see the word God or Lord, L-O-R-D, it's Yahweh. And so they would write the word, you know, you know, Yahweh, they would write it down and they would stop. They would stop. And then they'd go and wash their hands. And then they would go and take their pen and wash their pen, make sure it's clean. It's all reverence of the Lord. And then after they were done with that, they would go and bathe. Every time, you know, they mentioned the word L-O-R-D or any mention of God or L-O-R-D. And you see this in the Old Testament. And the writers, you know, these Old Testament scribes and the prophets of old, when they would write these things, that's what they would do. You think like, whoa, that's hardcore. And I, I don't mean to... I don't mean that we partake in these things as an act of religion, but to understand the reverence for the name of the Lord. You know, we live in a generation today where, you know, the name of God has become become a cuss word. Or they say the name of our Lord as a cuss word, as a profanity. No fear of the Lord. But it's so cool because you have these passages here and you start to understand like, well, the Lord's not playing around. The Lord doesn't play games. You know what happens? He says in verse 21, so they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. That's what the Lord desires. Clean hands and clean feet. What would happen if my feet, you know, here you see my feet in these old raggedy shoes. But you see my feet here. But what happens if my feet two days ago, these very shoes right here, my feet took me to a strip club. And I don't mean to sound crass and saying it like that. That's what the Lord doesn't like. That's dirty feet. Or what if, you know, you see my hands here. And what if my hands were the very tools to beat on my wife and stick a needle in my arm? The Lord doesn't like that. Dirty hands disqualified from pastoral leadership. I can't, you know, if I were a Calvinist, I could say, well, you know, I'm predestined. You know, how can I change anything? The Lord, you know, God is sovereign. How can I ask him? How can I wonder about his ways? God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Remember, it's the Lord who said, come, let us reason together. The great invitation of the Lord. Yeah, he's sovereign, but he's also Lord. And he doesn't make you, he doesn't make me as robots. And I don't mean to sound disgusting in saying it like that, but that's to, I'm giving a picture of what the Lord desires. He desires cleanliness. Not just from the leadership, but then also from, you know, from all of us. That's what he desires. He says, you know, and it shall be a statue forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generation. Remember, he's speaking about the priesthood. We're going to see passages as we continue to read. We're going to see passages in the Old Testament where Israel starts to lose, uh, lose battles, lose fights. 
And they go to battle, they go and fight, and then all of a sudden the Palestinians overtake them. Or the Philistines, you know, they overtake them. And they start to lose these battles. And then they come back and they tell somebody, they tell like a priest or they tell a king and the king goes and consults the priest the, or, or, or the, uh, uh, one of the prophets. And the prophets, you know, he goes to go and seek the Lord and the Lord says, hey, there's sin. I'm not glorified within the, in the people. And that's why you're losing these fights. We're going to see it all throughout the Old Testament. Where either the, the people are dishonoring the Lord, the priests are dishonoring the Lord, or the king is dishonoring the Lord. Remember, the Lord didn't design Israel to have a king. I mean, it, they were the ones who wanted a king. The Lord was like, you know, hey, you know, I'm your leader. I'm the head over you. But the people were like, hey, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. They have a king. We want a king also. And it broke Samuel's heart. And Samuel, he was like so frustrated with the people. And the Lord was like, Samuel, it's okay. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so he says, okay, go ahead and anoint Saul. Anoint Saul. And then look what happened. Look what Saul did. And in the progression of kings, you start to see these nasty kings, Jeroboam, Rehoboam. And as a result of these evil kings, you start to see the people of God. They go into Assyrian captivity. And then the, the ten tribes in the north, they go into Assyrian captivity. And the two tribes in the south go into Babylonian captivity. And precursor to Babylonian captivity, the Lord was speaking to Jeremiah. And the Lord was, you know, Jeremiah was telling the Lord, like, you know, he was, it was, it's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful book. Such a beautiful, beautiful book. Because the Lord was reassuring Jeremiah, yeah, you know, these are elders. Yeah, these are priests, but they don't speak to me. No, they, they don't speak for me. And so Jeremiah would go to the people, thus saith the Lord, and speak these things. They called him the lonely prophet, the weeping prophet. Because they thought he was so stupid. And it came to the point, you know, they threw them in. The, they threw Jeremiah in this well. He's all alone. They threw him in a well. They left him there to die. And then the, the Babylonians come and they go into Babylonian captivity. All the, the only remnant that was left was like all the old people. All the old people. Because the Babylonians would come and they would say, okay, you have your strong men. We're going to kill all the strong men. You have your elders. We're going to kill them all. These young boys, we're going to take these young boys and use them in you know, the king is going to make use of them. Some of those young boys, that was, that's like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the next generation going into Babylonian captivity. And then you see Jeremiah, he comes out of the well. He sees in Jerusalem is just torn asunder. And he's got like all the old people, all the crippled people. And the Babylonians were like, I don't want them. And that's a remnant. That's the remnant that remained. And then read Lamentations and it'll break your heart. It'll break your heart. And the whole time, all, I mean, these are like beautiful, beautiful blueprints that the Lord is giving to Moses. And I always see a picture of Israel in the Old Testament. I kind of, it reminds me of the Christian life. The ups and the downs, the ups and the downs. It doesn't have to be ups and downs. It can be like all up, but the carnal nature. You know, we're stuck in these earth suits. It can, you can go up and then you go down a little bit and then you repent and you go up again. 
You, you know, you crash and you, you know, you go up again, you repent, you go up again and you learn and you grow and you mature. But do you ever hear like Christians? It's like, wow, you know, they're like they're up and then they do their drugs and boom, they're at rock bottom. And, then, you know, they're they go up, they go to the strip club, boom, rock bottom. It's like, where's the growth? Perpetual babies. That's what you see in Israel. When the Lord isn't honored, when the Lord isn't revered. But the same thing happens with us in these temples. And praise be to the Lord because, you know, he knew it all. He's the one who made a way. And so he says here in verse 22, Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Also take for yourself quality spices. And what we're about to see here, there's a monetary account values. That these these uh, that the offering had the offering has for holy purposes, you know. There's a special use for these things and special blessings that God has for the people. I say that because a lot of times people think the you know the church account is like you know it's for the pastor. You know, it's a lot of times you see like a pastor you know driving a brand new car. And it's like, wow, you know, it must have been a good tithing week, you know. But that's garbage. I, I have no idea about finances in the church. And if the church grows, I don't mean to sound threatening. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want a church treasure. Where I don't know anything. I don't, you know, I don't want to be in a position where I know, okay, this person tithes more. This person tithes you know, five bucks a year. This person ties $500,000 a year. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to make sure that whoever the treasure is, if, the, if we grow, but I'm going to make sure whoever the treasure is, is I, I don't want to know these things. But I'm also going to threaten the treasure. And, I, and in, a, in a godly way, you know, not in like, you know, hey, I'm going to kill you. But to say, you know, to the fully ex, fullest extent of the law, if there's any type of misappropriation of funds to the full extension of the law, I will prosecute. I will prosecute. Because sometimes instead of fearing the Lord, people fear the legal system. If there's any, you know, misuse of funds, if you any kind of embezzling, I will prosecute to the full extent of the law. And I won't cry about it either. Because it's the Lord's money. It is God's money for his purpose. And here the Lord in verse 23, he's going to place these monetary values on things. He says here, also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. And it's not like Moses had like deep pockets or anything. But remember, the people would give. It was the offering of the people. And we're going to see in later chapters in the book of Exodus, in the, in the later chapters, when these things start to, when the blueprints start to be put into practice. You know, Moses, in, in, you know, Lord willing, will be in chapter 32 a little, in, in a little bit. But he's going to come down the mountain and see oh, this egregious sin in the camp of Israel. And it, it's going to kill you. It kills me. It's going to kill you too. But then what happens after that when the people repent and the people come back to the Lord? That's when these blueprints start to be put into effect. Remember when we started, when the, when the Lord started giving these blueprints to Moses? And he said in, um, uh, 
in chapter, I thought I was going to be quick, but chapter 25. In chapter 25, verse 2, this is like, you know, the very, like in, in the previous chapter 24, verse 18, you know, Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. So this is like the very beginning. But in verse 2, he says, speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You know, Moses doesn't command and say, okay, you give me 10%. Okay, you know, you give me the fabric for the temple. Hey, you give me the wood for the poles. You know, you go out and chop wood. He doesn't do that at all. He says, take from everyone who gives willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering, he says. And then in a couple chapters, we're going to see when the people return to the Lord, Moses has to tell the people, hey, don't give anymore. Stop giving because it's too much. You know, it's so cool because where the Lord guides, he provides. The Lord provides. He does the work in the heart of the people. And these are people who gave willingly to the Lord. Just as we're going to read in the New Testament. You know, we're going to read it on Sunday. It's like, you know, Peter's going to say, you didn't have to give. You didn't have to give it all because remember, it's a matter of the heart. It's not a wallet matter. It's a heart matter. And Paul says to the church in Corinth how the Lord loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. You know, don't let your right hand know what your left is doing. You know, it's like, you know, keep your left hand over here and then reach in your pocket and say, okay, here. Or vice versa, you know. Because it's so cool because it's the Lord that's doing the work. And not to say that Moses is going to go out and buy a new car. Moses is going to go out and do this, you know, buy a new mansion by the beach. But no, he says in verse 23 here in Exodus 30, he says also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet smelling cane, 500 shekels of Cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil. You start to see, you know, it's not just, wow, you know, this, this, these spices are worth 500 shekels. This liquid myrrh is, you know, is 250 shekels. It's not, you know, forget the value. I don't mean to say forget the value. I mean, it's very valuable, but it's for the Lord, for the purpose of the Lord. And this is the purpose in verse 25 for the holy anointing oil. An anointment compound according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. It has a very, very special purpose. Remember, these are people that, you know, Moses, the Lord tells Moses, make sure they have clean hands and clean feet. Make sure they have clean hands and clean feet. Very, very important, especially for church leadership. Because dirty hands, dirty feet, people will give their offering unto the Lord. And dirty hands and dirty feet will say, wow, look at all this money. I can go buy more crack. Wow, look at this money. I, you know, I shouldn't say, I didn't mean to say it like dirty money. But, you know, look at this offering unto the Lord. I can go out and buy crack. I can go out to the strip club. I can go out and do all these things. I can buy the, you know, very fancy alcohol. That's what happens in the pastor community. So-called pastor community. 
But it's nothing new. Nothing new under the sun, as Solomon writes, because you're going to see the exact same thing in Israel. Amongst the leadership, amongst the priesthood, amongst Aaron's sons even. No fear of the Lord, no reverence for the Lord. That's not here, but we're going to see it in later chapters in Leviticus. No clean hands, no clean feet. And the Lord doesn't like it. The Lord doesn't like it at all. But that's not to say that these things still can't be performed. The Lord is still saying, hey, you need to make this. It's a very special anointing oil. You know, with it, he says in verse 26, with it. You know, it's, it, it's kind of interesting too. Because a lot of people, what they like to do, they like to be seen by men. Like the priests, what, you know, when Jesus confronted the priests in Matthew 23, they like to be seen by men. Wow, look how holy I am. They'll dress a certain way. They'll put the little white collar on. They'll dress a certain way. Look at me. Look how holy I am. Because they like to be seen by men. But you know what's so beautiful about this? These are very private functions within leadership. Very, very private functions within leadership. In obedience to be seen by the Lord. I remember times, you know, Liz didn't... My wife, there was a, a man who was a father figure to her. Who was a pastor. And there were times we would go out and see a movie, you know. On a non-church night, we would go out and see a movie, go out, go to dinner or whatever. It'd be late at night and we'd be driving back and, you know, you'd see his little trunk there in the parking lot. And we knew like, wow, he's praying, you know. He's there praying for the church. Sometimes he'd go and clean the church, have his little vacuum, go and dust. You know, not a soul around. You know, he didn't have an internet. He just had an old flip phone in case his wife or daughter needed to get a hold of him. Somebody in the church body needed to get a hold of him. He wasn't out there. I know pastors who are alone in the church office and they're doing their pornography in the church office. And I won't say names, but you know these people. Pastors. But, you know, there were times Liz and I would go to a movie and we're coming back. It's late at night and you see his old raggedy truck in the parking lot. It's like, wow, that guy's praying for his flock. I didn't really place high value on it at the time. I was just like, wow, you know, you know where he's at. You know what he's doing. Sometimes he would go into the church and pray all night, all night long, nonstop. But now, you know, I start to realize what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. Liz used to say, you know, her, her, her friend, you know, she didn't live. She kind of lived in the hood. You know, Liz looked, lived where the Mexican gangs were and the Asian gangs were. And then her friend lived where the black gangs were, you know, in, in like uh, near Compton, Long Beach. And, you know, it blows me away because, you know, they used to trip out. But then, you know, she said that every time the dad would come out and, you know, be in his Bible study or be praying, they just felt like safe. It could, they could be like safe. They just felt that safety. And I love that so much because it's like, wow, you start to see the protection of the Lord when you have prayer being sought out. But these are things when he, in verse 26, verse 26, when he says with it. Speaking about this anointing oil, this wasn't in the eyes of the people. This is a very private matter. 
He says, with it you shall anoint. The, to anoint here is to rub and paint and consecrate. It's like to take this oil and put it over all these vessels. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them or dedicate and set apart that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. You start to see like, wait a second. It's very, very important because, you know, remember that Moses is a type of Christ, an example of Christ in as a uh, New Testament, you know, a type of Christ in the Old Testament. What does Jesus do to you and to me? How he anoints his holy vessels with the Holy Spirit. And we are consecrated unto him for his purpose as his vessels. This is an Old Testament example of that fact. What the Lord does, very holy. And we live in a culture where we've lost the concept of holiness. No fear of the Lord. You know, of course, there's, you know, a lot of people place, you know, like a, a, a measurement of sin. Oh, I've never cheated on my wife. I've never killed somebody. I've never committed murder. But I cheat on my taxes. I pay people under the table. You know, I get an employee and instead of paying taxes and reporting taxes to the government, I don't like to do that. So I pay under the table. It's dirty money. People don't like to report all these things. And they're dishonoring the Lord. Very important because you start to see what the Lord considers as holy. And reverence for things holy. Reverence for Him. And remember, these things are a shadow of the things to come. And we're going to start to see in later verses, it's a picture of the church. A picture of the New Testament church in accordance with the new covenant. Being consecrated, being anointed with the Holy Spirit. He says this in verse 30. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. Very, very important that ministry is always unto the Lord. 100% of the time, ministry is always unto God. Now, you know, the people can be benefactors of a ministry, but that's between them and the Lord. That's between them and the Lord because the, the people can also become an enemy of the Lord, an enemy of you too. They might hate you, but that's still between them and God. That has nothing to do with you and them. That's between them and God. Ministry is always unto the Lord. A big problem happens when ministry is for the people. Because people start to become man pleasers. They start to fear people instead of fearing God. Don't do that. It's not a good place to be. But when ministry is unto the Lord, it's like, okay, the people can be benefactors. But the fear is, you know, the fear and love is first with the Lord. <clears throat> He says in verse 31, And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, this is a little warning to the people, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. 
It is holy and it shall be holy to you. It's very, very special purpose for the priests and the vessels of the tabernacle. And it's very private. Sometimes you have pastors that go into a church office or they go into a church sanctuary. They get on their phones and they get on their laptops and they start watching pornography. Or you have church pastors who will go into a church office, meet with the church secretary, a female, and they start to do sexual stuff. People you know, who I won't say their names. Or you have some pastors who will go into the church office, the church sanctuary, fall to their knees and pray like crazy for the people, for the flock of God. Beautiful, beautiful men who love the Lord and fear the Lord. Just like it is in the Old Testament. You have priests who love and fear the Lord and you have priests like Eli's sons. Stupid, stupid sons and stupid Eli. Because he loved his kids more than he loved the Lord. He wanted to be his kids best friends. And because he didn't correct them, because he does, didn't discipline his sons, the Lord said to little Samuel, Hey, Samuel, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill his sons, and I'm going to kill Eli. <coughs> Can you imagine what breakfast must have been like that morning? When Eli, hey, Samuel, what did the Lord say to you? Oh, you know, nothing. Can you, you know, pass the bacon, please? Or oh, they didn't eat bacon. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> pass the, the pancakes. <laughs> Pass the pancakes, please, you know. So, what, little Samuel, what did the Lord tell you? I can't tell you. No, 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 please tell me. Okay, I will tell you. Your kids, the Lord's going to kill your kids. Uh, and by the way, he's going to kill you too. Like, what? Holy, this concept of holiness, it's lost. We live in a generation where it's gone. <clears throat> Inside the church. Not with everybody. There's still a remnant. There's still a remnant. Just like there was a remnant in the Old Testament. Just read Isaiah. Read Jeremiah. Read Lamentations. This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured out on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy and shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. It has a very specific purpose. And the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacti, which is a type of sap, and anica, which is it's peeled from either, you know, reading different translations and like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't. Whenever I study, I, I try not to get like overly lost in tertiary studies, you know, so it's it's appealing from either a bush, a tree or a clamshell. So I wish I could be more specific, but, you know, it's uh, this uh, 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 anica and galbanum, which is a type of gum from a plant and pure frankincense, which is the incense with these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. Very interesting. 
This is an Old Testament picture of the church. Of the church. Because he says salted, pure, and holy. Some translations say seasoned with salt. You say, what do you mean it's a picture of the, of the church? I don't get it. Look at what he says here in verse 36. And you shall be some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you. So, you know, inside the tabernacle, you have the, 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 the walls or like the, the fabric, which were the walls. And then you walk in and then you get to the entry point of another tent. And that tent is the holy place. And then inside of that tent, there's another special place, which is called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, or the Ark of Testimony. And then the high priest would go in there. And that, that was it, with the exception of this incense, which is salted, pure, and holy. You say, I don't get it. Why do you say this is an Old Testament example of the church? What well, you remember when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he says to tell us that it is finished. The thunder came or the, the, the earthquake came. The day turned to night. And something else happened in the Holy of Holies in the second temple. The veil was torn from top to bottom. You start to read through the pages of uh, Hebrews and we start to see how Christians have entry point into the Holy of Holies by faith with the high priest. The high priest is Jesus Christ. That's why I say this is an Old Testament example of the church. Seasoned with salt. Salted, pure, and holy. Remember when Jesus Christ says, you are the salt of the earth? You are the salt of the earth. But what happens when salt loses its flavor? It's good for nothing than to be, than to be trampled underfoot by men. And what do you see in the church today? Tram what do you see in our culture today? It's being trampled underfoot by men. What do you see in churches being trampled underfoot by men? Yet people will come to church, praise the Lord, sing hallelujah, lift up their hands. Go home and beat on their wives. Go home and cheat on their wives. Go home, stick a needle in their arm. Oh, that's too evil. I don't do that. Oh, but I pay people under the table. I cheat on my taxes. And then they'll go to Sunday to church and do the exact same thing. That's the disconnect. That's the disconnect. To honor the Lord and have reverence for Him. The work of His hands. That's one of the greatest, greatest things I love about reading through these passages in the law, I'm not advocating the law. But to have this understanding of the hand of our Lord. He says in verse 36, it shall be most holy to you. Then he gives another warning. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall, whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. So the incense, the, the, the very special warning came with these things. 
The incense and the oil are very unique for a very special purpose. And you see this access to the Holy of Holies and the high priest with the special anointing oil in the Old Testament, in these blueprints that the Lord is giving to Moses in this great cloud. Does it sound familiar at all? Access to the Holy of Holies with the high priest with the special anointing oil. This is so powerful. This is, this, is, this is what it means to read these passages of the law. Not reading the letter of the law, but reading the spirit of the law. Because it points to the handiwork of Jesus Christ. It points to Jesus Christ. So, we're going to end our study here. And Lord willing, we'll be in uh, chapter 31 next week. <laughs>